Hey, how's everybody doing this morning? It must be Wednesday, right? Just the, like the thing says, the California Haunts Radio Night. We're here early in the morning for a special show with a, but with, with a special person. I get to put on my journalism cap today, and I'm real excited about that. Um, Sylvester Boyd, talk about racism. You know, lately, well, not lately, but the last few years, there's been a lot of, the, a lot of that going on. You know, not only with the... Uh, black community, but also now with the Asian community, with, with people doing things that Asian people. So it's a very, very important topic to talk about. And Sylvester Boyd just happens to be a pretty good expert on, on this topic, and I'm really excited to have him on. You've probably heard his name before. He's also an actor. He's done some TV shows and movies. So that's another good, exciting reason to have him on. But um, when, I, when I came across his profile uh, as far as the interview guest, I was really excited because, as you guys know, I like to mix this show up. I, I, I like to do paranormal and, you know, the journalism, the journalist in me likes to do hard news stuff. And, and to me, this, this is a topic that has to be discussed no matter what, you know, especially with what went on with, you know, with the recent court case with the police officer you know, and stuff that's that's going on. And um, so I just thought it was really important to do this. So I want to welcome everybody here, and hopefully we can get, you know, we, we can learn a little bit in the process today. Okay, well, let me get Sylvester. Good morning. How are you, sir? Pretty good. How are you? I'm good. I'm really good. So tell us a little bit about yourself, sir. Oh, okay, well, a little bit about me, uh, I started out, uh, I have a degree in history, mm-hmm. geography. Uh, I've traveled quite extensively throughout the world from Denmark to Honolulu, most the islands and the Virgin Islands, uh, 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 Caracas, Venezuela. You know, and I'm gonna bore you with all the places I've been. I've, I've seen every monument in the United States, just about major from the Alamo to the Statue of Liberty, wow. from the Golden Gate Bridge to uh, the White House. So, um, uh, travel. Uh, the travels allow me to see what history and geography teaches me, so I can compare the two. And I've studied race and culture quite extensively throughout my uh, life. Uh, I was the first African American crew chief for American Airlines back in the '60s, a long time ago. Kind of tells my age, but. Uh, uh, I was uh, the, one of the first uh, uh, at O'Hare Field, O'Hare, O'Hare International Airport, one of the crossroads of the world. So uh, that uh, I lo- my crew actually loaded uh, the uh, first 747 to take off from O'Hare Field wow. uh, for American Airlines. So that was, you know, 
And what a crew chief does, I don't know if you you might know, uh, he loads airplanes. Uh, he's in charge of loading airplanes. I have a crew that loads the airplane. And uh, you, you, you deal with the weights and the balances and all of that stuff. Uh, you know, the pilot needs to have have to know what's on the airplane. He has to know his takeoff weight and that, et cetera, et cetera. So that was a pretty interesting job. Being at the airport, I met uh, everybody who was who back in that day, Bob Hope. Uh, you know, we're talking back in the 60s and 70s, right. Muhammad Ali. Uh, uh, the names go on and on. Uh, 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 that's Jabbar, I met him, uh, the basketball player, just a whole host. Everybody come through, Ra Raquel Welch, and just a whole host of folks uh, come through the airport. Uh, political figures, Brooks Dirksen, and that day. So uh, they did a lot of newsreels right at the airport. So I met a lot of famous people. Uh, then uh, my degree, as, as I alluded to before, is in history and geography. And, uh, you know, history is what happened. Geography is where it happened, sort of. So uh, I was very always interested in uh, what was in the world and uh, why things worked the way they were, why people didn't get along or did get along. You know, what did they wear? What did they eat? What was their architecture? So I got in a lot of phases of history and being able to travel like that, I was able to go to places that actually history took place. That's great. You know, I had, a, I had a similar childhood with my dad because he loved, even on the weekends, he'd let these guys would jump in the car and we'd pick a direction, you know? So I learned a lot, you know, doing that. Plus going cross country, went to Europe a couple of times. So we have, you know, we have that in common. Sir, you know, when, when I read your profile and, then, and I looked at your books, I didn't get a chance to, to read all your books. But with what's going on right now in the world, not just, you know, not just here, but around the world, but mainly here because that's, of course, that's where all our news is coming from. How does that make you feel? I mean, when you see stuff like, like, like what happened to you know, you know that trial with that police officer now, and now he's, you know, they're they're turning around trying to overturn the verdict, you know, getting another trial. Well, you know, it's no surprise to me. I mean, I hate to say that. It's a it's a thing that you have to be said. We have to, in America, we need to have a frank uh, conversation about race. Uh, we've been skirting race forever and a day. Uh, I'm old enough to remember the original civil rights struggle. As a matter of fact, my book took uh, takes place in Money, Mississippi. I don't know how many of your listeners know about Money, Mississippi, but Money, Mississippi is the little town on the Tallahatchie River in Mississippi, uh, Emmett Till was killed. And he actually touched off the first of the civil rights movement in the United States. He was before Rosa Parks and Martin King. And so my folks were all from there. And so that's uh, I wrote a book about starting out and started out picking cotton in, in the fields of, uh, uh, down south. And she ended up a millionaire. So it's her life journey from those cotton fields to being a millionaire on an apartment building in Chicago. Wow. And I could imagine what a struggle it was, you know, for her to do that. Yeah, well, it, the times. it was. It's, it's a struggle. Life is a struggle for everyone. Right, right. But if, right. You, put, uh, if you put impediments in front mm -hmm. of people, it makes it just that much more difficult. And uh, I always say that uh, the problem of race is not a black problem. 
the problem of race is a white problem. I think Albert Einstein said something to alluded to something to uh, just like what I just said. Uh, it's it, it's fear, fear. Uh, you know, we, we slavery was about exploitation of human beings. It was free labor. Okay, so we wouldn't have been in numbers that we are in the United States had it not been for white greed. So you have to put it that way. I was over in Africa. My, my forefathers were in Africa. You know, body died down the bushes, maybe. And all of a sudden, we have a slave ship, and we in new land, new language. Because uh, we didn't speak English, I'm sure we did. Uh, no. New religions, probably. And so, if think about this: if somebody picks you up today and took you to a strange country and stripped your language away, how would you feel? Okay, so uh -huh. that's what we have to deal with. Uh, that was white greed. And so for the first part of the uh, uh, century, we, we were picking cotton, we were slaves. After slavery, what do you do? Uh, you're free, but you don't have any land, you don't have any money, you don't have any income. So now we were exploited through a system called Jim Crow, where you're put into a situation where you work for me and you do all the work and at the end of the year, uh, I may give you a little, a little something at the store uh, a few dollars, and that's for your year's labor. You you got it. You got. I gave you housing in a shack that had, uh, you know, wood, wooden shack that could catch you on fire at any moment, or the wind through it. So I mean, these are real. These are real things. And unless we talk about them, really, uh, we don't get to the root of the. It's like a tree. A weed keeps growing if you don't get to the root of the problem. They'll just come back. We'll always have a racial problem. Uh, the 50s and 60s, the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King and John Lewis and all those folks, it looks the same to, uh, today almost. Uh, that we made some progress, but mm -hmm. what is progress? You know, what is progress? If an elephant is standing on my toe, I want him off. I don't want him off partially because it hurts mm -hmm. until the minute the pressure leaves. So this is the way we got to look at it. And we don't educate. A lot of Americans are not educated. It just, we are not educated. Uh, they uh, uh, basically don't know their history. White people don't know their history. There's not a black white thing. It's what you talk and what you mm -hmm. talk, which, how you react. If if I teach someone, my kids, that someone is not uh, as good as them or you're better than somebody, those kids are going to come up with that idea in the head. So in America, we have a lot of people who have false images right. uh, of who other people are. I'm just as human as anybody. And if I could do it, if I had died tomorrow and came back, I would still want to be who I am because I know my history and I know what, what has, my people have contributed to the world. Uh, white people don't know that the Moors, the Moors, you know, Africa, and they actually were uh, control Europe. Uh, Hannibal captured, uh, he came over the Alps and he captured Italy. So for a while, for about 700 years, blacks actually uh, ruled part of Europe. People don't know that. If you don't know it, you don't know it. Not your fault. It's the mm -hmm. fault of the educational system. But you're not taught that deliberately uh, because as you encourage people to know their real history sometimes, they find out they're a little stronger than what they thought they were. And it becomes challenging to the system, so we, we you got to take it from those kind. There are reasons for everything. 
when I was a little kid, I always wondered why Tarzan was white. We're oh. in Africa. So I figured, hey, look, it should be a, <laughs> it should be a black man swinging from the tree and, and hollering. But it wasn't. I always wondered why the, the white horse always was the best horse. You know, everybody mm -hmm. got on a white horse. Uh, I think we got a problem with color. And, and I think color, most people don't know why they're what they are. Color is just only adaptation to the climate that your ancestors were born in. Uh, Europeans usually come from a, a warm, a cold climate, excuse me, a cold climate, snow. Uh, everything is, is adapted to the climate. Darker skinned people come from darker climates. Europeans tend to get skin cancer a little bit more than African-Americans or, or brown people. Why is that? Because the, that's the protect, your skin protects you from the sun's rays. Um, you know, it, you're going to be a lot more uncomfortable in the desert than I would. You're going to get sunburned pretty yeah. quick. So, I mean, these things are, a polar bear is, is white because where is he? He's in a cold climate. A, a snow fox is white. Why? Because he's in a cold climate. Uh, a brown bear, you know, he's in a warm place. It not only happens with it not only happens with people and living things, it happens with trees. Mm -hmm. If I go to Canada, I'm going to get light wood, you know, pine, real light wood. If I go to the jungle, in the, uh, let's say in the Amazon, I'm going to get maybe teaks and mahogany, darker wood. So nature had a balance, but we scramble it because we travel. But that doesn't mean that you're smarter than me or I'm smarter than you. It just mm -hmm. means the original folks came from different parts of the world. Uh, that is something that needs to be taught. We need to teach race like for, for what race is. Now, everybody has a way of doing things, which is culture, it's not race. You may do cook soup but one way and my folks cook soup another way. You may dress one way and my folks dress another way. That doesn't have anything to do with who you are as for as brain power. Uh -huh. Who you uh -huh. are. We, everybody that is human are, are homo sapiens. We all we all belong to the same family. We all mix, uh, from one end of the group to the other. But uh, because it's advantageous, race is advantageous to some people. If if I can get free labor, the South in America was born of free labor. Uh -huh. You know, you very wealthy because cotton was king back in the day, and who picked the cotton? But uh -huh. then myth that that black and brown people are lazy. How can I be lazy when I'm doing the work? It doesn't, uh, it doesn't jive. The other thing is uh, that doesn't that never jive with me was all men are created equal, endowed by the crea creator with certain inalienable rights. Life lived in the pursuit of happiness. How can you have slaves? It doesn't, hypocrisy, not mm -hmm. democracy, it's hypocrisy. So those are, those are the kinds of things that we need to look at as, as a group of people. And uh, until we look at them, I'm afraid to say we're going to have problems. Yeah, but a lot of the issue is also that whites have dominated. I mean, like you said, whites have dominated everything. So they've dominated all the media. They've don they don't. They certainly wrote have written all the history books. That's true. They're very and that's true. where you're getting the one-sided history too. And that's like it, when you talk about people being uneducated about this stuff. That's that's a huge you know contributor to all this. Well, that what they call revisionist history. Mm -hmm. History to me is history. Real history is history. I mean, if you walked across the street to get to your studio this morning, uh, you walked across the street. Now, if I vary that, 
it, it becomes an untruth or a lie. You walked across the street. Mm -hmm. So what we got is uh, when you tell an untruth, the other thing my grandmother used to say, if you plant a crooked seed, you'll get a crooked plant, which will bear crooked fruit. So slavery was the original crooked seed. Mm -hmm. We go through Jim Crow and we go, we're going to have that problem because the fruit is being bared from what you plant. Now, if we'd have started America, here's another thing. We don't know what we lost. We don't know as a country. Everybody could contribute to this country equally. We would probably be a lot more advanced than what we are. But if you got your foot on me, you got to stand pretty close to keep that foot on me. So you, you don't advance yourself and you don't advance me. So you got to look at it from two points. Uh, if you don't teach me my history, you don't teach a white child their history because history is history. And if you, if you, uh, if you change it in any way, it's not true history, it's revisionist. Interesting. Very, just very interesting. Um, now it's, uh, it's obvious. I, I, I have black friends and I see what goes on. You know, I, I see how, how their lives are as opposed to say, or, or their kids, you know, their kids in school, the difference between how their kids are treated and how the white kids are treated. It's a totally different ball. It's a totally different ball game, even though the teachers will tell you, oh, no, I'm trying to treat you know everybody evenly. But when it comes down to it, it's not even treatment. But, and know, that's what's sad about all this. No, it's, it's, it's not. There's nothing. There's not a system in America. People say, well, this is not who we are. I've heard that mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. This is exactly who we are. Because who you are is what you do. It's not what you say. It's what you do. Uh, my parents, I was raised with that theory. Uh, what you do is what counts, not what you say. And so we say one thing, but we do another. Uh, I just heard a couple of people saying, it went like sent chills to me, that this is not a racist country. Sure it is. Mm -hmm. It's a racist country from the day. If slavery was a racist institution, period. Jim Crow was a racist institution, period. Mm -hmm. Segregation is a racist institution, period. How can you make that statement? Anybody that makes it, and I was uh, kind of appalled at a couple of people who I thought well, I'd never see make that statement, made it in the last week. It's ridiculous, it's preposterous. We have been a race, now what do we do about that? Can we change it? Can we change it? That's the whole thing. Because uh, democracy requires participation of everybody in the country. The demographics of the country is changing. This is what white America feels a lot. You will be the minority pretty soon. You won't be the majority. Worldwide, you are the minority now. A lot of people don't know that either. White people in the, in, in the world are the minority. You go to, you know, India, dark country, Africa, dark country, you go around the world, you know. And so we have to learn to live together. We're all human brothers and sisters. But as long as one person disrespects the other or one group disrespects the other, we will have war. We won't be at peace because you can't be at peace until I'm at peace. And that's mm -hmm. white America has to learn. We would, would you accept some of the conditions that you make other people? If I say uh, Mexicans, that's for example, let's say I don't like Mexicans. And right. I do everything I can to keep the Mexicans down. I would expect them to be uh, upset with me and uh, resentful of me. Mm -hmm. So you're never going to have peace until you give everyone peace. Now, I'm not saying you should give people th things that they don't deserve, but if somebody works hard and earns it, mm -hmm. they should be given what they earn. 
I don't care where you come from. I don't care what group of people you come from. I'm going to write another book and my next book will be dealing with some of these issues because we keep making the same mistakes over and over and over and over. Uh, for example, World War II and World War I were only separated by 20 years. And if you look mm -hmm. at them, they're like bookends, the same people fighting the same people for the same reason. So, you know, Adolf Hitler was, uh, I think, a corporal in World War I, and then he came and almost uh, took over the world in World War II, with the same, because he was angrier about what happened in World War I. So, so human beings tend to not, my mother used to say, birds of the feather flock together. It's okay. Everybody had their way of doing something. I'm not knocking, you know, you, you got one religion, I got another religion. I'm not knocking that. But respect me and I'll respect you. That is simple that you don't have a right because you had got a different religion or you were born in a different place to disrespect me. You don't have that right. And until people quit disrespecting one another, like I said, this will go on and on. We should not have to say black lives matter. Oh. It's ridiculous. Do we have to go around saying white lives matter? It's ridiculous. Yeah. Here's another thing that will you know, make it very easy for everybody to understand. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If you don't want me to do something to you, don't you do that to me. And you're guilty, which that's where white guilt comes from. You're guilty until the day you accept that premise. You, if you do something to hold me back because of my skin color, or because of my gender, because of my age, because of my religion, then you're guilty of disrespecting me as a human being. Interesting. It's funny you talk about World War II, too. My father um, served in the U.S. Coast Guard. He was, he was 18, and he, he grew up in Cleveland. So, apparently, you know, from my understanding with him, race was not an issue in, in, in Cleveland. But when he got stationed to, in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, he, he says his, his eyes just went bing because that that point when he went walking down the street you had one side that was black and one side that was white you couldn't go in the black you know establishments and the, and the blacks couldn't go in the white establishments and he said it was a big eye-opener for him because he had never seen that you know when he got there that's when he that's when it all hit home for him yeah well you know race is funny race is a comfort zone you know if i'm white and you're white and we're all talking about uh, what black people and Mexicans do in a in a derogatory, it's it's comfortable. I can laugh, I can pat you on the back, and blah blah blah, and we reinforce each other's uh, racist attitude. Uh, it, it's a comfortable zone. People like to be comfortable. Mm -hmm. People like to be around people that are like them. Mm -hmm. That's not a bad thing. But I can be mm -hmm. just like you, but I just had a different skin color. My my color is dark. Yours is light. But we could be the best buds in the world. We may be uh, very, very similar to each other in every regard except skin color. So why should that uh, supersede everything else that we are? Uh, maybe you're in a situation, here's another thing. Uh, the African-American and the Asians, and the, uh, we got a lot of things going on with Asians right now. Mm -hmm. Asian hate, it's the same, comes from the same place. Right. It comes it come absolutely from the same place. Uh, if, if I call uh, an Asian person out of their name, 
uh, it's, it's the same as calling a black person a white person out of the name. Uh, but we don't see it that way. We see it that we do it, we kind of reinforce it, ha-ha, joke. I never liked uh, joking a lot. Mm-hmm. Joking, you know, uh, you know, about different races, uh, talking about Polish people or African-American people or whatever. Mm-hmm. Because I figure if you talk about a Polish person, as soon as I leave the room, you're going to talk about me. I'm next up. And uh, that reinforces, and, and what we don't do is when somebody's doing something racial, the other people don't stop them from doing it. Same thing with with the uh, blue wall with the police. police, A good police officer is worth his weight in gold. He risks his life every day when he puts the uniform on. Uh, You know, he's in a life and death situation. But then I don't want a police officer that would shoot me when he wouldn't shoot a white kid for the same offense. Uh, they always say we need more police training. I'm, I'm one that says, no, it's not training. We don't have to uh, train our police officers not to do things in the white community. We don't, you don't see them shooting white kids in the back. We don't have that on the night of loose, arresting people falsely. We don't see any of that. Okay, so they know how to act in the white community. Just apply that to all the rest of the community, whether it be Mexican, whether it be black, whether it be Native American, whether it be Asian. Don't, so training won't do it. It's something about fear, number one. Maybe you're uh, more afraid of black people than you are white people. I don't know. It may be that you think that a black person or Mexican is lesser than you. I don't know. But you're coming from a place of evil. Evil is evil. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you have to recognize what you're doing is evil. But you know we we're in a situation now where we're close to maybe losing our democracy forever. We're in that we're that on a razor's edge right now. Uh, we're trying to take away the vote, and democracy is built on a vote. That's what I mean. We vote for the people that represent us, and if you can't vote, then uh, what is the democracy? What, what does that mm-hmm. leave democracy? Uh, we're changing laws, and we're trying. We got a certain group of people in America that really don't care about the Constitution because if you apply the Constitution, some of the things that are happening right now just couldn't happen. Uh-huh. So you wonder in the world how we stack up against other countries. We always say, "Well, we're number one." Well, that's said. That's what we say, right? USA, uh-huh. USA, we're number one. You know, I think sometimes it's like a person on drugs. Uh, yeah, you're number one. Okay, we were number one at one point. World War, after mm-hmm. World War II, we were singing along pretty good there. But we've declined as a country, and I always say America is very high in 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 resources. We're very high in material wealth. Material wealth. We are bankrupt almost in moral wealth. We have our morals shot. And uh, I've seen other countries. I've been to Denmark. I've been to Copenhagen. I've been to Bergen, Norway. And I've interacted in worlds that are all white. My high school I, I graduated from was 95% white. But I always also went to all African-American schools. And I've always said, also went to mixed schools. So I got a unique background. I've, I've seen America. I've lived in the country, rural areas. I've lived in the city. I live in Chicago right now. And I've also lived in the suburbs. So I've lived almost everywhere you could live as in America 
in different settings for being urban versus rural. So, I mean, I have sort of a unique background that way, but most people will never get that background. But the bottom line is to treat your fellow man like you want to be treated. I'll give you another example of where we are very wrong in America. Mm -hmm. How many times have you seen an all black or brown jury try a white person? It doesn't happen. Totally wrong, totally wrong. A white person should be, I'm not saying that all Jewish should be all black, all brown, or whatever, but you never almost see a white person tried by an African-American or Asian-American or, you know, the, the trial just, and it never mixes that way. This system is a rotten system. Anytime you can try me, but I can't try you, there's something wrong with the system. Mm -hmm. You have to change the system. We, our justice system, I used to say, we have a justice system for white America and an injustice system for everybody else. That's the way it works. And I mean, to say it and say it and be, say it and mean it. I mean that. I mm -hmm. see it every day. I don't go by what someone says. I go by what I see. What, and I'm 77. I don't mind telling my age. I've been around a while. I've seen a lot. I've been a lot of places and I've talked to a lot of people. And uh, what I see is a country that never was a country that was a melting pot. Never. Oh. It, that was a myth. It has never been where we got along with each other. What happened is we, we were brought for free slate for, for free labor to mm -hmm. America. And then once the free labor bit was over, now what do we do with all these people? You know, we got all these people over here and now they want to be like us. They want to learn how to read and write and they want to, you know, be smart as we are and they want to fly airplanes and they want to do everything we do. It shouldn't be that way. It ain't we, it ain't us against you. We're part of humanity just as much as you. And in some instances, I think we're more humane because if I think the table was reversed, there would be a lot more violence going on. We've been marching for, oh God, I don't, forever in a day. Uh -huh. And we we always, we want to talk about love. We want to talk about peace. We want to talk about the things that we should be talking about. But violence is, is what happens to our society, when 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 peace and love break down, and I'm praying that that never happens, but then we're violent in another way. You know, we got people walking in the. I'm 77 years old. When I was a kid, I could not dream of a somebody walking into the classroom shooting at the classroom. I never thought about it. I never thought about road rage. You had a car accident, you get out and you change papers, and you you got your insurance. I got my insurance. We go we go our way. Accident, no problem. Uh, carjacking, somebody walks up to you and take your car away. I mean, these are just a few things that I see that I've new right. and just on the scene, I say since the 1980s, 70s, late 70s, 80s. So we have, we've become more violent. We've become more scream. Uh, we can't sit down and talk with each other because one is you feel guilty because of what you've done to me. So that's an unpleasant conversation, it, 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 and you got to have it. it. It's not going to be pleasant. I'm going to tell you how I feel about what you did to me and my ancestors, and you don't, may not want to hear that. Uh, it, it, so you go into what I call white people float down the river of denial. They didn't do that. It's not our fault. Well, come on, folks. Uh, what? How do we get to where we are? 
we didn't just get here to yesterday and everybody got at each other's throats. This has been a, a go ongoing process since 1619. And then history is full of myths. We say Columbus discovered America. Mm -hmm. I got nothing against Italians. I don't. I, you know, the great group of people. But don't tell me Columbus discovered America when I know better. Yeah, but you teach that to not only black people, you teach that to white kids. So they're now they're misinformed and miseducated. He did mm -hmm. not discover America. Do, I know that there were trading going on be, between the people in Africa and people in South America years before Columbus even thought about it. They were trading the Incas and the Aztecs were trading with Africans and they used the uh, they used the uh, currents to, to steer the ships from one to the other. They knew where the currents were. And there's currents off the coast of Africa. And they used the currents to, to, to uh, get across. They, they were navigators, just like the Polynesian mm -hmm. uh, did a long time ago, using current, wind currents, and the stars to navigate. So that's being educated to a point that you know what's real and what's not. So if you tell me a lie, <laughs> I'm probably going to pretty much figure that out. And if I, then if I don't know that you're telling the truth, I'm going to look it up. Okay, well, that person was telling the truth about it. But then I'll also say, well, no, I, I know better. I know that Columbus didn't discover. So now we got Columbus Day, so we're celebrating a person that didn't do what they said they did. did. Mm -hmm. And then the other, on the other side, we get omission. You know, how many, how many classrooms talk about what the Indians, the American Indians contributed, or the Asians contributed to the country, or the Spanish contributed to the country. We don't get that. I mean, I'm a historian, so I had to study everybody. I, you know, I have to, I had to study, I know as much about Mexican culture as, as I do of uh, African-American culture. I know what Asia is, Southeast Asia, and, and, and what, why we got in the war, like Vietnam. So if you don't know history, and I always say we should have requirements, history should, is, is more important than, I never used calculus yet. I never used algebra yet. I've used geometry a lot, but I never used those subjects, but we, we're required to take them. Why not have history as a requirement? And mm -hmm. I don't, and quit teaching false history because false history leads you to a false place. Uh, you can't get to a good place or have the, without the knowledge of how to get to that good place. So I don't blame everybody for where they are. I think the country was started crooked and it's hard to straighten out a crooked tree. As I alluded to a minute ago about the crooked seed, it's kind of, we, we planted a crooked and now that that has happened, we got people who feel guilty. No, you should be. If I, if I do something to disrespect you, then I should be held accountable and I, I should feel guilty about what I've done. But right now, we never apologize. As a country, I want to mm -hmm. see the first Congress to stand up and, and, and the first Senate to stand up and the first president to stand up and say, we apologize for slavery. It was wrong. I'm not talking about reparations, because that's another whole conversation I have. Mm -hmm. But just to say we were wrong. We've never done it. We've never done it. Uh, so you, and, and then you got to look at overseas. What happened after World War II? Did they put a bunch of statues of Hitler up and Goebbels and right. all of his cronies? I, they don't have any statues in Germany of Adolf Hitler. Not a one. 
So why do we have uh, Robert E. Lee, who was a secessionist, a traitor to his country? Or, or the Confederate generals all over, you know? Uh, it just, it doesn't make sense to me. These people were traitors. They were not somebody to be held in high esteem. They were fighting against the government of the United States. Left to them, we would be two countries today and not one. Mm -hmm. So you got to look at it. It's the same thing that happened up in Washington uh, recently in, uh, in, in, in uh, I think, the 6th mm -hmm. of January, I think it was. Uh, you know, we got a bunch of people who go into the White House, and not the White House, the Capitol building, with, there was a treason. There was treason. It was secession. Let's call it what it is. And they should be punished to the maximum. Because if you don't, those people will lay there and it's like a bad tooth. It'll come back and make even worse next time. And maybe they succeed. Now, what if had they been, had they been successful in overthrowing uh, the election, what would we have? Mm -hmm. You know, where would that have led this country? So we're on a, on a razor's edge right now. Uh, we got to be real careful because democracy is not guaranteed. You have to work for democracy. You have to put yourself into it. You have to know your rights and, and apply your rights. And you got to vote for people who, who will do the right thing. And now we got it so staggered, just like the court system, we got the, the, uh, the government actually jerry-rigged, gerrymandered, uh, people don't have to do it, they don't have to answer to anybody. And so this we have to really take a good look at right now. Mm -hmm. Because if we don't, maybe we'll have a dictatorship here pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah, we, it's not guaranteed. You know, a lot of people think, well, we've been doing this for X number of years, but no, nah, it's not guaranteed that we're gonna be free. That mm -hmm. we, then you, you get a dictator who, now nah, he doesn't like Mexicans, now what? Now we got a problem with that. Or he doesn't like black people. Or he doesn't like women. Or, or, or people who are, are, are sexual preferences. He may be off into that. So we got to really watch what we do right now. We got to be very careful because we're on an eggshell right now. Uh, and when people do the right thing, uh, they actually get lambasted for doing the right thing. Yeah. Yep. That's ridiculous. So we got to really... I'm, I'm really hoping that we do something with the voting thing and this thing about drawing lines that look like snakes so somebody can be in one district and not have to answer to the people. Ridiculous. This is the way you lose your democracy. I studied quite a bit of how Hitler came to power. And it, this looks uh, awful like that going down that very same history repeats itself. Yeah. I talked about World War II and World War I. History yeah. repeats itself. We got the same thinking. We got a big group of people that think the same way. And I, it's not about parties. It's about right, right and wrong with me. If the Republican Party acted like the Democratic Party, I got no problem. The Democrats aren't perfect. I think we need a third party. I think we need something to break this up because the way it's set up now, when you're in office, if you're doing a good job, think about it. You could be the best president in the world, but I'm the adversarial party. It's an adversarial relationship. I got to be against you. I got to say something bad about you. I can't, you know, not what's best for the country, but best mm -hmm. for me to keep electoral power. Mm -hmm. Power is what is causing our problem right now. And dictators usually have a way, and the people who want to take over a country, they have a way of taking the people who 
are not thinking and just going along with the crowd, <laughs> you find them that they know how to man manipulate the people. And I think we have a lot of manipulation going on. You don't just find, follow people blindly. Why is this person doing that? Not, not, not enough people ask that. So we as a country, have every citizen has to, you know you get the government you deserve that's what i think i one of the famous people said you get the government you deserve and the, the government we deserve is what we'll end up with if we let people go into the our capital which was not uh attacked only once i think in the war of 1812 the british burned the capital but uh, now we got our own citizens just think about this our own citizens destroying what the house that we live in, mm -hmm. we should be incensed by that. We should be incensed by that. And if we're not, then things happen to us that shouldn't happen to us that we wouldn't want to happen to us. So uh, everything is kind of related. I've always said that there's nothing that's not connected to the next thing. There's I was really, um, not to interrupt, I was really proud after that happened because TikTok absolutely exploded. And it wasn't so much white folks that were on TikTok talking about this and talking against, you know, what happened at the Capitol. It was African-Americans and blacks that, 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 that were coming forth. And I just thought it was the most wonderful thing I've seen. Well, you know what? Here, here's, here's the thing about African-Americans. From my standpoint, I, don't, I can't speak for all African-Americans, but the people I've been around, we love our country. Mm -hmm. Okay. First of all, but we also have a hate relationship with it. We hate the way we've been treated. Uh, we hate the way police uh, in this country police us. We hate uh, things about this country that are just not fair, just and never have been. So, but we love the country. We fought in every war this country's had. Uh, we were right there in the, you know, in the battles in the Civil War, World War II. We had some of the most distinguished records in, in World War II but that's love of the country mm -hmm. you don't want to damage the country but i think we think that there's a group of people and, and i don't know they're not all white now they're not all black but there's a group mm -hmm. of people who are not uh let's say a party uh a, a, a political party they are uh let's say a cult <laughs> I can't I can't come up with anything closer right. in the word a cult. When you win a cult, you follow the leader, no matter what the leader does. And if, if you don't believe uh how things are right now, look at take look at some old war movies in, in history, go back in history and look at a movie and, and look at uh Hitler and look at how many people said Zig How. Mm -hmm. How many people said that? And look at what they got for for following that leader off of that that cliff, that abyss. Uh, just one city, Dresden, was bombed, firebombed, and it was burned to the ground, and people were incinerated by the thousands. There's just one incident in the war, and I mean, it went on and on. Millions of people died, but that's what leaders. When you start following people going the wrong way, that's where you end up. Now the world, as far as we go around the world, we're going to get away from just what happens in the streets of America because it's connected. The world mm -hmm. is, is going toward totalitarianism. You know, we got Xi in China, 
dictator. He wants to be president for life. We got Erdogan in Turkey, dictatorial. So, and, and there's just a few in North Korea, dictator. So, dude, is that the kind of government that we want to head toward? If we keep doing what we're doing, that's exactly where we're going. It's like going down a highway. It leads to a certain road. If you get on that road, you're going to end up there. It's just amazing to me how these people that are, that are causing this, you know, the ones that are involved in, in this stuff, it's amazing how they see, you know, we're, like you say, where we're going one way, we see it the other way, but then what they don't realize is once it goes that way, they're not going to, the majority of them aren't going to like it. <laughs> yeah, it's, not, it's not what they imagine it is. Yeah, absolutely right. It's easy to get there, but it's a hard road back from that. I mean, once you lose the democracy, how hard would it be to establish something similar to what we have today? People don't think like that. It's like push, push, push. Uh, and, and why? Here's my question. Why are we doing what we're doing? I mean, why would a group of mainly Caucasians go into the Capitol and destroy it and try to keep a vote from happening? To me, it's a, that's treason. Without uh, everyone there, if I was the judge, would be, boy, they would have a problem. They had their head hand to the basket. You don't do that. Mm -hmm. So, and some of those people were police officers. Some of those mm -hmm. people were, were soldiers, national guardsmen. Uh, so, you know, now how do we punish those people for that? Because if we don't punish them, that's a green light to do it again. You have to punish them, and they have to be severely punished. Yeah, so, they will do it again because they're emboldened now, you know, to do it. I mean, they're going to do it more and more. But I'm, I'm hoping you're right about that because that 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 is required. Just like when when police, we have to change. And I thought black getting back to Black Lives Matter, and that, uh -huh. that I thought that to say to defund the police was an awful thing to say. Awful. You say restructure our police. Restructure yes. was a much better word. That was the word I would have given to that. And uh, I think it would have been accepted a lot better. Because when you talk about defund, you're talking about, well, we're going to take our job, blah, 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 and just hands the, those people who against it a, a card to play. Uh, restructuring the police. They need restructuring. And they need to keep records. When an officer does something, he can't go from one power of one police department to the next. Uh, if he do, if has so many violations, he's out. All police officers in the United States should be licensed. It should be licensed and should be federally controlled. The licenses of police officers should be federally controlled. This is the system I would put into place. And that way, you don't have to deal with the unions. If, if, if they do, they get, well, you got three strikes, you're out. Now, what that would require, you take somebody and you set up committees and figure out what it requires. But you don't have an officer. I think this uh, Shelvin, the guy that did the thing with George Floyd, I think he had all kind of infractions. Why was he still on the force? Oh. Well, you know, and and that goes on. And I think the other the other officers, I, I hate to call them officers, the other gentlemen that held that held him down should be severely punished too. Maybe not as severely, but something close to it, because they were cutting off circulation, they were holding him down. So they're part of the crime. They're accessory to a murder. So that's my opinion. Uh, so we gotta really get after some of these things and, and, and make America be what America, because America to me is, 
the, to right now today is the greatest country on the face of the earth. Now, how yeah. long we stay there, how long we stay there is going to be up to getting along with your fellow man. We should be very strong on defense, but we shouldn't spend the kind of money on defense I think that we spend. Uh, we should be, you want to defend yourself. You want to have a good army. My daughter was also in the army. So not talking about, you know, just something where we have been, I sit back and just look at things that are wrong, but I contributed to this country. And we put, it, a lot of people don't know, black people built the White House. Mm -hmm. The house that the government is in was built by slave labor. So you, these things need to be taught. Young white kids should know that. Uh, it shouldn't be me. It should be young white kids. And then that will give them a respect. They'll get a respect from that. Do you think books, of using books such as the book you wrote and say something like The Help, or even going back as far as, as, as Mark Twain with, with, with his Thomas Ware, Huckleberry Finn, do you think that they, they show an accurate enough picture of, of, of what it was uh, it was like to turn some you know to, 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 to get these these white kids to start or these white people to start thinking more? Well, you know, here, here my book covers a, a, a lot. It, it's a series. It's not a book. Mm -hmm. That's right. I just, yeah, I just worked on. The, I just finished the third one, and the fourth one is the is the, the last book in the series. But oh, okay. uh, it, it covers my family basically. Uh, it's based mm -hmm. on my family coming from Money, Mississippi, and in my aunt. It follows my aunt's life all the way through. It takes you through the uh, Jim Crow. It takes you through the Great Migration of Negroes from the uh, south to the north. It takes you through World War II, where she worked in a defense plant, building, uh, helping in the war effort to save America uh, and defeat Nazi Germany and, and Japan. Uh, it, it takes you through uh, the cities coming larger, and, and, and it takes you through a lot of things. And it's the day-to-day -day lives, her day-to-day -day life, what it took to get to where she was, the obstacles. You know, it talks about her getting kicked out of a restaurant. Uh, uh, with uh, one of her boyfriends because they were black and they made an excuse to throw him out. It was an exclusive place downtown here in Chicago. So it and it, it gives you the day-to-day -day obstacles. It's not always the big things that black people encounter or Mexicans right. encounter or Indians encounter. It's the little de the little things that are done or the things that are implied. Sometimes it's not even said, it's just implied. You don't belong here. Why are you here? You threaten, you, I should not threaten you because I'm anywhere in America. Unless I have ill intent, <laughs> but I should, it shouldn't be a threat to you. My skin color should be no threat to you. Just like, and if you want to reverse it, your skin color has been more of a threat to me than my skin color is to you. Mm -hmm. If you want to look at it. So I think these things have to be talked about. I think once we do that, and once we have the conversation, because you talk about my book. Now, a lot of the people that should read it, they don't want to read it. Right. Because it's holding to them a mirror, a mirror to their face. You're saying, you know, here's who, who here's what your great-great-grandfather did or your great-great-grandmother did. And if you get history, because that's crooked too, they talk about the pilgrims coming. The pilgrim did come for religious reasons. There were people who came here for religious reasons, but there were also a lot of the, the Europeans that came here were the underbelly of Europe. 
They were the undesirables. They were the prisoners. They were the prostitutes. They were the murderers. And they say, go to the new land and you're free. We don't want you here, so go. So we got a lot of those people in our in in our society right now. So, but you that's really knowing history, and uh, I don't think enough people know history. Um, how it how we got to where we are today, uh, and we we it's like somebody eating a a steak, and somebody else is eating a, a chewing bone. And just because the other person wants a little bit of the steak, you, you get your head chopped off for asking for it. It's sort of that kind of way. Um, and the the income in inequality, that's another, you know, when I was a kid, you know, they had a little grocery store, a little corner store, and you could go to the little corner store and uh, basically, you know, it's on the corner, you could walk, and people didn't have cars like they do today. And so the little corner store was okay. Then it got to be a supermarket, a little bigger than a little corner store, a little bit more variety. And then there got to be a little bigger supermarket. And now you got big box stores which swallows up everything. Yeah, you, and that that's the reason that we have our job troubles right now. Some of our income insecurity and, our, and in some of our income you know, gaps between the richer and the poor. Uh, if, if I'm going to say a big box store comes in, and I call a name, and they take the they take the hardware store out, they take the lumber yard out, they take the carpet store out, they take the paint supply store out. They hey, they got it all. So then you talk about how rich the people are that run the big box store. Yeah, they should be. They should be. They got it all. So <laughs> we don't think like that. It used to be more uh, of a diverse income situation where uh, if I own two restaurants or three restaurants, I could provide for the people in the neighborhood and my family, it'd be great. But then you get a chain uh -huh. and one person or two people run the whole thing. And then it's about the stockholders. It's not about the neighborhood or the community that's served. So there's a lot of things that go into why we are where we are. That's just sort of the economic impact. So we got a few people controlling more and more and more. Uh, I got nothing against wealth. But to me, no one needs a billion and billions and billions of dollars. It's ridiculous. And other, there's other parts of the world where one man probably has as much wealth as a whole country. So that, that it's absurd. But that's where we are. Uh, he could never spend that amount of money. Uh, they get. They say, "Well, he d donated, or he. Well, what are you going to do with it? You get a certain amount of money; it makes money for you again. So, mm -hmm. uh, we need to redistribute the wealth. And people talking about fifteen dollars an hour—that's ridiculous. Should be twenty-five, thirty bucks an hour. Give a family enough to live on. You know, that's my thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, if you run a, if you run a big, if you run a big company." You should provide uh, child care for your workers. It should mm -hmm. be required. That would give jobs to the people who took care of kids. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's different ways of thinking about it. You know, you work for General Motors. So here's General Motors. We're building cars. And we got a, 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 a school that's adjacent to the plant or something like that. So you drop your kids off uh, anytime that you're on a shift. And someone's there to take care of them kids and, and actually educate those kids in the meantime. There's a lot of things that we could do differently. 
and I'm just one little guy here saying this, but I can see what a country could do a lot better than what we're doing. It can definitely. Um, do you think that change can come? Do you think there? I mean, this has been going this way all these, you know, all these, all these years, and and, and it's gonna, it's gonna be a slow process at this point because we're just, you know, we're, we're still, like you say, we're still trying to to get this change to occur. And do you think we're ever gonna see it? Uh. It's, it's, uh, you know, it, it depends on what the American people are really made of. Uh -huh. if, if we want our Constitution, which is a great document. Now, here's something I always thought some of the greatest people and greatest minds put together our Constitution. Uh, you know, the, Thomas Paine and John Hancock, all those people back in those days. They were some, they all white men, but they were some smart white men. And if we could live up to what they wrote, we would be a, a much better country than what we are today. Uh, if the, the, there's a beautiful document, the Constitution of the United States is one of my favorite things. I've studied it. It's a beautiful document. We don't live up, come close to living up to it almost anywhere. Mm -hmm. But uh, if we could get to that, and we the, the average American citizen could get to that, and the coat, the people that are in these coats. Because you know, I don't, I don't even want to say political party because it's a cult. Right, right. You, you right. don't, you don't. It just, and we need other parties. I think the system needs to be changed. I think we need to have a constitutional convention every fifty years, every twenty-five, fifty probably, uh, to to look at things. Why do we have uh, our justices appointed on the Supreme Court for life? That's ridiculous. One man, he can change. He could be the best person when you put him in there and they change. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you got a 15-year term, get out, bye, see, I don't care we, whether you're Thurgood Marshall or Clarence Thomas or who, who else there is. Uh, you know, you could, we just let fresh blood come in, let fresh ideas come in. But you point somebody for life, they just sit there and uh, they can be uh, detrimental to the country. Mm -hmm. And or and you can only get rid of them for good behavior. Okay, now what is that? So, you know, when you really deeply study some of the things I've studied, I, you know, I look at it and I say, okay, this is where the problem is. Now, how do we fix it? I can show you the problem and I can give you some, some solutions. For example, we talk about the environment. I'm going all over the place. But oh, we're talking, go ahead. It's fine. We, we're talking about the environment, okay? Mm -hmm. Why not charge people to, when they bottle water, you get all these little bottles of water, 10, 10 cent deposit. You won't find them on the street, I promise you. We have tens of deposit. You have people picking them up. <laughs> you have because there's an, a financial incentive. You got to give them that. They'll pick it up, take it to the store. When you buy a new refrigerator or, or, or something like that, there should be a deposit that you have to pay on that, I don't know, 25 bucks, 50 bucks, whatever it is. So it doesn't end in a dump or a river or a screen. There's 50 bucks. Somebody's going to, oh, that's money to be made here. So they will take that back. We need to charge people to quit uh, throwing away things that shouldn't be thrown away and, and littering our rivers and our streams and everything. And there's a way to do that. And it would be an incentive for the government because maybe some of that could go to tax money to, to clean up what wasn't uh, taken care of by the uh, tax that you put on it. Mm -hmm. So there, there's a lot of things that we can do. That's, that, that's, a, that's a solution. Uh, 
uh, in my book, I'm going to track this solution. Not just talk about problem. You know, anybody can bring up the problem. What is the solution? Uh, a political thing. We need a third party. No doubt about it. Two parties just it don't work. The two party system right now is not working because we only have one party at this point. As far as I'm concerned, that's functional. That's trying to run the government. And the, the reason for the people in Washington is not to sit back and draw a check and to fly around in jet airplanes, but to run the country and to do what the citizens need to have done. So, you know, that's my thinking on it. And we'll have to really change the structure of a lot of things, our court system. I always said, uh, in just uh, court cannot render justice. If it, if, it go, if it starts out in just in the first place, you're going to get it every time it's going to come out an unjust decision. So I, I have a lot against the court system. The way we select jurors, uh, a, a lot, because you're supposed to be a jury of your peers. Right, I was just thinking that. Uh, I, I probably, a guy, he's a, he's a, a guy that works at uh, a, a auto mechanic or something like that. He should have people that are blue collar, okay? And then lawyers get too many chances to reject who's on a jury. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a so through discovery. I mean, they're getting into law now, but uh, through discovery, true? they can reject uh, who, who they we don't want this guy. Uh, do you know uh, somebody is a police officer? You would be favorable to a police officer, you off the jury. So these things need to be looked at one at a time to make the country the strong, vibrant country that I know America can be. This it can go back to the top of the heap big time. Give your people uh, fair breaks, give them a fair wage. But this deal now, we we basically got, uh, I don't know, it's not sharecropping. Uh -huh. We the people go to work, and they got to work two and three jobs just to make. Come on, and you got another guy that sits around at the top talking about how many billions he's counting up. That's ridiculous, and the system will fall from that. Because people see that inequity. It's in rubbed in their face every day. I'm working three jobs and I'm just barely making it. And I think this thing with the, the recent disease we had has highlighted a lot of things. I think maybe that, that was sent here this way because it had to show people that this we can't touch each other now. We can't stand close to each other now. We're scared to breathe the air the next person is breathing. So that tells you how intertwined we are. And if in the way we get, if we don't get rid of this in all parts of the world, the, the, the European countries and the white countries of the world, if they don't get rid of it in the deepest places in the Amazon or the deepest places in Africa or Southeast Asia, it's gonna keep coming back and coming right. back because the, because the bug really don't care. They don't care how much money you got, whether you're black, you're white, you're sick. They, they really don't care. The bug job is to do what a bug does, is try to survive just like you. So those, those are kinds of things that we're be, we, things are being put in front of us to make us see reality, to quit denying reality. For too long, we deny reality. This ain't who we are. Yeah, this is who we are. This is where we are. This is how we got here. And this is how we can get out. Those questions have to be answered. And evidently, what we're doing now ain't working. Because if you keep doing the same thing, you're always going to get the same answer. Uh -huh. 
this is very interesting to me, you know, to, to, to actually talk to you and get your perspective on all this. Um, going back to the police, you know, I, I was thinking about what you were saying about, you know, not so much retraining. What about, you know, and I know like the, the way the unions think, what about more extensive background checks? Not just like when they hire them, because I know I have friends that are police officers, and they have to go through a background check when, you know, upon hire, you know, before they're hired. But what about just consistent background checks throughout their careers to make sure they're not involved in, in these other friend groups? Uh, one thing that about police, they're not trained enough. Okay. Not, I don't mean that. I alluded to training and said training can't take away the racial aspect, but they're not. You should be have to have at least a social degree to be a police officer. You can come out of high school and I think it's a few a month of training. You're a police officer. I think they need to have a high requirement. Uh, you know, nurses have to have a, a high high uh, standard. Okay. Doctors have to have a high standard. Uh, they have the life and death in their hands, but a police officer has life and death in his hands in a different sort of way. And I think they should have either a, at least associates and maybe requirement of a bachelor's degree. Other countries, they do that. Look at Denmark and Norway and some of the other countries, look them up, and you'll see that they have very high standards for you to even put a badge on. I think we, we're too cavalier. We get a, a bunch of people who are sort of macho they you know they want to show their manhood you know and, and it's not about policemen should be part of a community as far as i'm concerned to care about a community you need to be part of a community sometimes uh you don't need to live in a suburb and then come into the inner city and then try to control the people in the inner city but then people don't know the original policemen in america were slave patrols so you got to go back to history to pick that one up. This was what it evolved from. Slave patrol. People catching runaway slaves. That's where we got our police department. So, I mean, that's knowing history. Now, I suppose we taught that in school. So people would know where it came from. Mm -hmm. Then that explains some of what's going on. But if you don't know where it came from, you just lost. You don't know what, you know, oh, okay, this is the way policemen are. Uh, like I said, a good policeman is worth his weight or her weight in gold. A bad police officer is one of the most despicable things on earth, as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, if you if you do it, because it takes a lot of courage to go out every day and put your life on the line. It takes a special person to do that. But don't see a Mexican kid doing something uh, and shoot him in the back, and the white kid does the back, uh, very same thing, oh. and you know he gets to, he gets to go home essentially. Uh, a good a good case example of that is not something I'm making up. The guy at, at up in Kenosha, Wisconsin, he shot two people dead, walked by a policeman, and gave him high five and went went home, stayed home. Uh, Dylan Root, who shot. Uh, the shirt, the church up down in South Carolina. Mm -hmm. uh, and they, they arrested him and took him to a Burger King on the way to the prison. Black people get shot. Brown people get shot. Anything other, so we need to change that. Right. And that that's, that sticks out like a sore thumb. 
with if you're black or brown. Uh, don't think I don't hear about, yeah, well, you know how they are. You know, we shouldn't be thinking that. We should be saying police officers are here to serve and protect me just like it would a rich suburban person. It, it should be the same. Because guess what? My taxes pay for it just like anyone else's taxes. You know, taxes are taxes. You get a loaf of bread, you're taxed on it. You say, well, you don't pay. Yeah, everybody pays taxes in America. Can't get out of here without it. You go grocery shopping, I think they put taxes on them. <laughs> so if you buy a new car, taxes. So, you know, uh, we tend to think that the poor people don't contribute. Yes, mm -hmm. they do. And we talk about people, immigrants. Hey, everybody's an immigrant. You know who, who are not immigrants? American Native Indians. They are only true Americans. Uh, because you, you, you say, well, you go back to Africa or you go back to wherever. Yeah, because you came from somewhere to get here. Either voluntarily or involuntarily, you came from somewhere to be here. The Indians were here. Because and if you got to go way back, but then the Indians got here by uh, coming across the land bridge, the Bering Straits, which was frozen over and you could walk across the Bering Straits at one point in our mm -hmm. geological history. So, you know, that's the kind of teaching you got to stand in front. And I've been a teacher. I don't know what I mentioned that, but I taught school for about five years here in Chicago. So you got when the kids walk out of the class, they need to learn something. And they don't need to have it omitted. They don't need to have it uh, embellished. They need to know true facts. And true facts will set you free. The truth will always set you free. A lie will always. Here's a question I have for you, sir. Not to interrupt, I apologize. As a teacher, now coming in, especially Chicago, did you have a problem? Did, did you have any issues with the school administration? Because, of course, you, you know, like you say, you, you want the kids to learn the true history of what's going on. So, is, is that how you taught, or did you have to follow the curriculum? No. Well, you have here that I was special because my head, I was a student. Okay. So, I wasn't in a classroom. And I wasn't in the system like a regular teacher every day, day, okay. day out. Uh, you know, I taught all, and I was certified to teach from kindergarten to 12. And I've right. taught every grade kindergarten to 12. But I, I had, I could get away with teaching things that were a little bit, they, they would give you a lesson plan for the day. But then if I had a group of uh, seventh graders and I, I would ask them, you know, What's what's the capital of a state? What's the capital of a uh, Kentucky? That would always get everybody. It's Frankfurt. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, I would I would teach them things that were, and then then they they would become. Here's here's the thing about kids. You teach them something they never heard or something they ever know. You got no problem with the kid. Mm -hmm. But if you teach them this, you know. Uh, Columbus discovered America, George, what I about. Hey, wait a minute. Kids are pretty instinctively uh, know when it's something they're really interested in. Then they want to know, okay, you did not put the girls against the boys. I'm going to see who knows the most capitals. Or then I did a thing with the shapes of state, just draw a shape of a state on the board. Now, what state is that? Okay, that's 10 points, but that's 10. The girls got 10 points, and uh, you only got nine. But the boys got nine, and vice versa. So now it's a game. 
Uh -huh. You know, we're going to beat you. And, you know, so it, those are the kinds of things I, I did. It was just on my own thinking. Uh, they tried to get me to be a teacher permanently. But it, you know, the kids, it's, it's more than a notion to, to uh, stand in a classroom. I admire the teachers that do a good job in the classroom. Nurses and teachers, firemen, policemen. We need those people. Uh -huh. We need to pay those people. You need to be very, I would be for raises for police officers, but I don't want a cop to come down the street and, and, and shoot a young black kid uh -huh. or, or, or to see pictures of, of a, a, a 80 year old lady thrown up against a car. Uh -huh. That you wouldn't, would you want someone to treat your mother, the, the police officer would do that. I'd ask, would you want someone to treat your mother that way? Uh -huh. Or your yeah. son that way? Do unto others, it comes back. We would solve half the world's problem if we just did that do unto others that you would like them to do unto you. Give them the same respect that you would want. That will clear up half the world's problem tomorrow, I promise you. We want to do something to somebody, but we wouldn't want it done to us. That's where the problem is. You know, we want to steal from somebody. We want nobody to steal from us. We want to beat somebody. <laughs> we don't want to get in a fight and get beat up. We want to shoot somebody. We don't want to get shot. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you go down the list, that's my next book. I'm going into that. The whole thing is going to be not so much a, a fictional thing. It's going to be more or less a political statement because we make the same mistakes. And I'm going to point out what the mistakes are and then how they can be corrected. I don't want to give you a book full of mistakes. What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? I want, right. to give, I want to give you what I see as a correction. How long did it take you to write the uh, first set of books? How did I what? How long did it take you to write the first book? Uh, uh, the first book, when my aunt passed away, I determined, I never was a writer before. Uh -huh. other thing. I, I always believe if I want to do something, I can do it. I was taught that your brain is as good as anybody uses. So, so uh, I, I wrote the book when my aunt passed away. I thought it'd be a great tribute to her life, which was, uh, she was like my second mother. And uh, it, it, it's something that I thought would be a, a way of giving her a, a, a monument. Because the book will be here after I'm gone and it's been received very well. It's been uh, also uh, five-star rated by Reader's Favorite, so it's an award-winning book. Matter of fact, the first two books in the series have received a five-star rating. And uh, I wanted to t tell people what the day-to-day -day life of an African-American woman is. And uh, it, it, the picture, the last picture on there, that's my daughter. There's another one in between. We just changed the series, so there's another, yeah, that one. Over those are my daughters. Those are the covers. I thought it would be good tribute to them to, to do that. And, and and by the way, that is their great aunt that the book is about. So it's not that they just were put on a book, but uh, I thought I thought that would be good. And uh, to show how she came from nothing to something, rags to riches. She actually stood on the Great Wall of China. So you got to really, really read the book because uh -huh. you will go, go through American history. Uh, she actually did. There's something about religion in there where during the World War II, she, she actually got with a group of people who worked in the defense plant, a bunch of ladies. And they were a Mexican, 
She's African American. There were two white ladies, and they actually visit different churches. They thought it'd be a good idea to do that, and that's in the book. So it talks about the religion and how the different services were held. So it, it gets into a lot of things, and it, it's done in a way that you see America. You see her in the foreground, but then the music is in. What was playing? You know, in the forties, uh, uh, do get take the A train. Mm -hmm. uh, they, and you, you can't hear that without thinking that that's 1940s music. Right. Uh, so the music is, is placed in there. The, the, the way people talk, the dialect, the first one is Southern dialect, a lot of that in the first book. So I try to keep it real. I tried to show as she moved from the cotton fields through the great migration, through arriving in a big city, you know, the, the thing is all new to her. Uh, through working in the defense plant in World War II, uh, we mentioned, I mentioned most of the wars because we have a lot of military history background. And so you see America, the music, the nightclubs in Chicago in the 40s, in the 50s. You, so I want to bring that to, to the reader so they feel like they're, they're part, they can see her life unfold in front of them. Down south, there was a jute joint in one of the books. The first book has a jute joint. Way back up in the woods, only the black people knew where it was. And it was owned by black people. And on Saturday night, you know, a Sunday night after church, they'd go and cut a rug. And so you, you see that. And you, you see the food. Not, not, there's a lot of food. How do the greens, the, uh, you know, the beans, the, uh, the, the food, the ham hocks and black eyed peas, things that black people say. And a lot of people say, man, I could almost taste the food. You know, so that's the way I wanted to, the book to come out. I wanted to be real. I want you to feel my aunt. I want you to touch my aunt. I want you to see my aunt. But I also want you to see America. I want you to see where we're going. A lot of times they have the radio on in the book and they would certain things in the newsreel to be said. You get to talk about Sputnik in 1957 in the last book uh, when the Russians fired off Sputnik. So there's a lot of history that follows through too. So you're getting a history lesson, you're getting a cultural lesson, you're getting a recipe lesson, foods, there's a lot going on here. You're getting uh, the dances that people did. They did the jitterbug. And I, so that's in the book. And and I want the flavor of the city, how, how it moved. You know, then I talked about the Pullman porters that were on the trains back in the day and how, you know, they how they helped the people get aboard the train and everything. And the segregation on the trains where they had only certain cars that the, the black uh, people and brown people could ride in. And yet we were at war, so that's all in the book. And, and uh, I, I think it's uh, a history book, uh, a book that the, the people can see. Maybe their ancestors were a part of this, and it don't matter whether you're black, white, or whatever, because everybody went to World War II. Everybody fought in World War II. Every racial group. So you can see your son, your brother, or your grandfather back in the day in the 20s and 50s. And what it does is. It starts out in the year 1925. So it ends up, the last book, will, she died in 2009, so the last book went in. So it goes from that, from the cotton fields of Mississippi, but you also got hip hop, this is gonna be in there. And the break dancing and, and the things that happen on the way. So I, I, I tried to cover a lot of territory. Um, everybody else likes it. 
you know, uh, after always, you know, it's my work, and so I don't want to blow, blow the horn too much on it. I just want my readers to enjoy everything that that I write on a page is for the reader to enjoy, to discover. You know, I didn't know that. I want you to say, I didn't know that. Or, yeah, I remember that. That's what I want the, the book to do. If I do that, then I've done my job as an author. Also, uh, before we go, uh, you know, I'm also an actor, background. Uh -huh. I just received the uh, background award uh, in Chicago. First year they gave it away. And I was uh, got the award for the mini Academy Award deal and uh, for the uh, for the person closest to the main characters and some of the main characters, uh, you know, I've been uh, to Roger P. Hinton and Terrence Howard and uh, Forrest Whitaker and uh, Tay Diggs, Vince Vaughn, uh, Jennifer Connelly, uh, just a whole, you know, you name it. I look at television and those people I've actually acted as a as a as a background actor or extra movie extra and uh, I've been in motion pictures and on, on TV series like Chicago PD Chicago Fire uh just a whole bunch of series on TV the boss uh, it goes on and on so uh you know I've had an interesting ride so far in life uh, I I always tell my wife that I would like to leave the world a better place than I found it I want people to remember that I was here when I'm gone. Thank you so much. Um, boy, almost an hour and a half talking. I learned so much from you. And I thank you for coming on. And you know, when your next book comes out, I'd like to have you on again, if that's okay, sir. You got my email address. Just email me. And uh, we'll take a look at it. I do. I, I'm busy, but I'll get you in there. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Sylvester. I really appreciate it. And Hopefully my audience will learn something as well because this really needed to be done and I'm so glad you came on. Okay, well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You have a good and day, you, sir. And you have a, a pleasant day. So, you too. Bye-bye. All right, guys. Uh, we went almost an hour and a half, which for me is a lot. But uh, I learned a lot about this stuff, you know, and um, I'm glad I did this and I hope you're glad I did this too. If you like the show... Please share it with friends. Uh, we're trying to get the word out on the show, and uh, we're starting to pick up a little bit. I'm getting really excited about that. So if you like the show, share it with your friends, um, maybe five friends. If you didn't like the show, share it with five, share it with five enemies, whatever works for you. But um, I want to thank Sylvester for coming on. I'm really excited. I can't wait to read his books. In fact, I, I have ordered all of them. So that will keep me reading for a while because, you know, I'm it's something that, that, that we all have to look at. You know, we have to really look at. Anyway, um, I will see you guys Monday evening, regular time. And uh, again, uh, like I said, uh, if you can find it in your heart to donate a little bit to the show, that would be great. All of this comes out of my pocket, all the equipment, all the internet, you know, all, all the service for StreamYard. It all comes out of my pocket, and I'm just trying to keep this thing funded so we can keep bringing in great guests like, like Mr. Boyd. And... Uh, yeah, well, anyway, it's good to see you guys. Tisa, I see, um, yes, I see Tisa. I see Donald Day came in today. I'm really excited. That's really cool. But anyway, I want to thank you guys for coming on, and I will see you Monday, and have a good week. <laughs>